Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling's Potterheads A History, where we focus on topics outside of the main series, such as fan theories, fan fiction, and pretty much anything our patrons want to talk about. I'm Ellen. I'm Katie. And for this episode, we are joined by a very special guest, Sarah Baines Miller. Sarah Baines Miller likes short walks on the beach followed by margaritas. She's a freelance playwright and director in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her most recent play, Favorite Colors, won Best Show in the Pittsburgh Fringe Festival. She's also a self-described Potterhead and quite frequently annoys her friends and family with her Harry Potter slash Hermione ramblings. Speaking of ramblings, two years ago, Sarah got super drunk and started rambling to her best friend that it was complete bullshit that Harry Potter was the main character in the Harry Potter books and that they'd be much more interesting from other perspectives. This led to a further rant on how Hermione is a much better person to tell the story of the boy who lived than the actual boy who lived because the boy who lived is clueless 90% of the time. Sarah went on to say that she should just take it upon herself to rewrite all seven of the books from Hermione's point of view, and her best friend dared her to follow through. Now, Sarah balances work, pandemics, and very opinionated and sometimes creepy Harry Potter fans while trying to fulfill the dare. To date, Hermione Granger and the Philosopher's Stone and Hermione Granger and the Chamber of Secrets have been written for a total of more than 150,000 words combined and scrutinized on the internet by tens of thousands of people in a very scary world called fanfiction. She is starting the research for the third book, but keeps taking a shot of fireball every time the words Time Turner are mentioned, which is making it a slow, sloppy process. I wish we had heard of this before we finished the third story. Right. (laughs) Man, I didn't know that was a thing. We just missed it. We did. Probably would have made for some slow and sloppy podcast episodes, too. I mean, but likely hilarious. I mean, let's be real. They're already hilarious. Fair. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But we wanted to have Sarah on an episode partially so we could talk about how she's rewriting the books from Hermione's perspective, but also because in talking with her about it, we realized that we could have a very interesting conversation about the women of Harry Potter. So here we are. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Before we get started, I want you to share your Sorting Hat story with our keepers. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. So my love of Harry Potter began a little late. I think the third or fourth book was out by the time I started getting into it. But I was in college and my baby sister, who's 10 years younger than me, really missed me and was like, Sissy, please read this book so we can talk about it when we talk on the phone. So I decided to give it a shot, even though I was like, oh, everyone loves Harry Potter. So it's obviously stupid. But that day I ended up reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone from cover to end in about two hours. And that started my love of Harry Potter. I think I've read the books 19 times now, pretty much on my 20th read with all these rewrites. And I guess that's the day that went down in infamy. As for my Pottermore stuff, it says I'm in Gryffindor, though I think I should be in Ravenclaw, but whatever. My Patronus is a wild rabbit. And my wand is a spruce wood wand with a phoenix feather core. 
10 and three quarters and swishy. Yeah, that's actually, I think you and I got in it around the same time because the fourth book was just about to come out Mm -hmm. when I learned about it. So I was just shy of being in college myself. And I was just after that. Yeah. And it was so nice because then I could read books one, two, three, and four right in a row. And then I had to wait like everyone else. Yeah. And it was miserable. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was miserable. Because that's when I came in was the the wait between four and five. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, what the (laughs) But that, you know, that's a feeling I'm never going to get back, though. Yeah. Is is the, the anticipation of waiting for the next book and trying to figure out. And like, she, I remember, you know, there would be clues posted sometimes on, on different websites. And or there's so many people going in depth with things. Yeah. And you're, you're never going to get that back. And I miss it. It was but an amazing time to be alive. It was. It really was. <laughs> But as Ellen mentioned, we're going to be talking about some of the notable women in the Harry Potter series, specifically focusing on their character development and how that played a part in inspiring Sarah to write the stories from Hermione's point of view. But one of the first things that we really want to know, did you think I was one of those super creepy fans when I first messaged you about doing this episode with us? (laughs) Oh, 100% yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, so you have to understand that these two books have been read by like a hundred thousand people because I have counters on all these fan fiction sites or whatever. And I've heard from at least half of them. So 50,000 people have messaged me in various ways. Wow. To be fair, a lot of them are very nice and they're like, oh, I really liked it or made me think of the magic of reading it again. But there have been like super creepy ones. Like there's this guy that wanted me to come to Canada to do a keynote speech or um, people have found my personal email and sent me these like five page emails about their life story. And one of my favorites was someone found my phone number and blew up my phone with texts about how. Oh my God. Yeah. About how they couldn't wait for the second. This was before I wrote the second book. Couldn't oh, wait snap. for the second book to come out. And oh my God, how far are you yet? Did you do this? Did you do that? You know, here's a good idea. Or wow. The tip of the iceberg was when I got a package in the mail of the Young Americans Unofficial Guide to Very British World of Harry Potter book, Volume 1, with a letter with, like, legit cut-out letters from magazines saying, you don't make these books more British, I will find you and kill you, I have your home address. So, oh my god if that person is listening fuck you and i didn't read your book <laughs> but yeah i <laughs> that's that insane said, for some unbeknownst reason because i stopped answering messages on my facebook from people i did answer you and here i am and i'm actually glad Yay. that i did See, my interest in this is twofold because on one hand, I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. And on the other hand, I'm going, I'm not the weirdest. This is amazing. (laughs) I would just say I'm having this moment of, we haven't gotten any creepy fans yet for our podcast. (laughs) I want to know where you're advertising your books. (laughs) Right. Not that Honestly, I want. I'm. I don't. Just, I don't really want to stalk. I don't want but... stalker fans. We've got the most amazing listeners. Our keepers really are do. fantastic. But that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Don't don't advertise on Reddit. Those people are scary. Oh, um, never they, even thought about that. Actually, I might see yeah. that actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah it does kind of make me feel better like i thought i was obsessed with harry potter but these people are like you know on page 276 you called hedwig he that completely ruined the whole book for me and i'm like okay well the whole book the whole thing yeah you know what go for it i'm a hundred percent positive i i don't know where it is but i feel like there was a point in the actual books where Hedwig was referred to as a he. I think that happened once. I think that was a mistake. I remember that people talking about that. I could be making this up completely, (laughs) but I'm having extreme deja vu about this. Well, in my paperback copy of Chamber of Secrets, remember, instead of Percy, he was called Perry. Yeah. At one point, as as a typo. I'm assuming it was a typo, because his name fucking isn't Perry. Perry Weasley. Typos, like shit, happens. Okay? Right. (laughs) And I'm not a writer, like, by trade. I did this... Because I got drunk and was dared to do it. This is just for <laughs> yeah. fun. I mean, good for you for sticking with a dare. I'm, <laughs> I'd been like, nah. Unless it was Ellen who was, you know, technically there to push me to do it yeah, every single day. Technically, like she this is was with kind this of a dare, and she's sticking with it because I'm making her. <laughs> Again, no, I'm just really stubborn. I don't have to tie her up anymore. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, because you have my home address mm-hmm. and you have my phone number. <laughs> I'm the creepy one in this podcast. She is. <laughs> I kind of like it. Right? I am no longer the creepy one. <laughs> but I also wanted to mention that part of the reason we wanted to talk about the women of Harry Potter is because we feel like J.K. Rowling doesn't really write strong women all that well. Mm-mm. And that's something that we're going to get more into throughout this episode yeah it's kind of ridiculous once you notice it the first time and then it's like the glass is broken and you can't stop noticing it (laughs) well for sure like as a whole she repeatedly falls back or seems to fall back on these stereotypes and tropes for every woman that she writes like Mm -hmm. you know how many of the male characters got these extensive backstories and they weren't even as important as some of the female characters that we know and love, but have no idea why they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I found that out with rewriting this, you know, I'm trying to stay as close to canon as possible and I'm writing this and I'm like, okay, well, why would this character, this female character act this way? And I find a legitimate reason and I start writing it. And then I find something in the canon that completely goes against what I just wrote. So it's like, I'm set up to fail because she continuously pushes these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You think you broke the code and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. Do you know how many times I said, ah, oh, shit at the end of a chapter? <laughs> Way too. Here's hoping you aren't doing shots of fireball every time you say, oh, shit, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I keep the hard liquor for the time turners. I just stick to Trulies or White Claws for the oh shit moments. There you go. Do we call Fireball hard liquor? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I only need one shot and I'm done. But I'm a lightweight, so there's you that. are. I'm a very, I'm very much a lightweight. <laughs> I'm a pro, oh so yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. <laughs> Any hoodles. So obviously, with the women of Harry Potter, we have to start with Hermione Granger. Other than what we shared in your bio, is there anything about Hermione or the way that she was written in particular that made you want to write the story from her perspective? There's everything. I mean, there are so many... (laughs) Break it down. 
No, there's so many inconsistencies. It seems like whenever Hermione's character was finally finding her voice, Rowling would like make her do something completely uncharacteristic just to push Harry's narrative. Like, why on God's earth would someone so smart like Professor Lockhart? Like, why? That mm-hmm. makes yeah. absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it makes me think, like, is she saying something like even the smartest women can fall to the charms of men? It, like, just completely diminishes Hermione as a character. I think we actually talked about that when we were when we were recording those yeah. sections of the story. It doesn't make sense with her character. It seems very out of character for her. So, like, for example, in my book, I kind of made it into a more of a peer pressure thing like she's already like getting this oh shit I'm a mudblood I need to fit in and everyone else really likes Lockhart so I should pretend to do that too to Mm -hmm. kind of fit in with all the other witches she's like jumping on the bandwagon yeah because that's really the only logical explanation I could have in my head now granted in my story she does start to like have a crush on him but it's nowhere near what is insinuated in the original books. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could maybe look at it from the perspective that Hermione had two best friends that were boys and maybe wasn't fitting in with the girls as well. And that could be why she was just doing what the other girls were doing and they were fawning over Lockhart Mm -hmm. type thing. Yeah. I was going to say, well, that doesn't explain Trelawney, but she learned from that. Because all the girls were fawning over Trelawney and Azkaban and Parvati and Lavender. Were, yeah. Oh, she's so amazing. She knows everything. Da, da, da. And Hermione was the one that was like, no, she's an idiot. Well, that also went against Hermione's book smarts. But yeah. Well, so, I mean. So, so did, did a random crush with, with yeah. True. So did Lockhart. Dumbass. Yeah, it is definitely inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, so, so that inconsistency completely pissed me off. Understandably. Yeah. Well, the other one is throughout the books, and and I know, believe me, I've heard from many, 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 many people, a lot of people are upset with the fact that she ends up with Ron at the end. And I'm not saying that her and Ron at the end getting married is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the books as they are right now don't really support that relationship. Because he treats her like shit, you know? So why would she end up with him? So... I'm hoping throughout these seven books to kind of give a little bit more of a justification for that. Builds up their relationship a little more. Mm-hmm. Correct. Because it's not there. It is not there in JK's book. It's just like, why the hell would she do that? She couldn't get Harry, so she's settling for him. Well, that doesn't go with her character. Yeah. Well, I don't think that she wanted Harry yeah, I never either. Saw her I never got that. Harry. But I feel like. She didn't develop it throughout the majority of the books. And then she got to the seventh book and was all of a sudden like, okay, now's the time to fit it in. And it just wasn't enough time to really build up. Because if you think about it, they spent a lot of time, just the two of them, that we never got to see. Mm -hmm. Right. And those are the scenes that I really want to write. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity to build up more of a connection between them. And I mean, yeah, he treated her like shit, but... And I'm not defending, like, that's not okay, but it just took that growing up. So it's, yeah, I get what you're saying about how it's not wrong that they ended up together, but we don't have any of the story for yeah. how it worked. We don't know what was said with Harry not around. Yeah. Basically, yeah. 
And even when Harry was around, I'm sorry, he's kind of clueless. Like he, he's not yeah, very observant. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> so, and he's not going to think to himself, "Oh, you know, Hermione and Ron, they're flirting with each other." He's completely clueless. He's either, you know, worrying about Voldemort or he's yeah. all emo in book five and whatever. To be fair, he had a few distractions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. a couple of things on his mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole boy who lived. I'm gonna save the Wizarding World. Shows in one. Yeah. His life being in peril every single year. The I meddling, mean, all of the meddling. All of the meddling. So many distractions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, like, one of the other ones that I was thinking about is why does she fall for Crumb in, in the fourth book? You know, why does she go for the jock, the stereotypical, if we're going to keep using that word, stereotypical yeah. jock, like the dumb jock? Why would she go for that? Is it to get back at Ron or what? Yeah, I honestly feel like that was more of a disservice done on Crumb. Yeah. Because I think he was more than a jock. And I think that would like Hermione was the only person who ever got that opportunity to see it in him. Like he was attracted to her because she didn't see him as that jock. She wasn't tripping all over him. Yeah. She didn't have Bulgaria scarves tied around her waist following him around the school grounds. Like she just, okay, whatever, you're here. And that drew him to her. And I think it let her see a side of him. Like, she's probably the only person in that series that actually knows Crumb as a person and not as a Quidditch player. I mean, to be fair, that's kind of Hermione's life. She's like, she's best friends with Harry fucking Potter. Yeah. So she's, she she's gets it. used to the celebrity of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she knows that everybody fawns over Harry and does this, but she just knows Harry is Harry. Right. So I'm sure that she may just look at Crumb and just go. Yeah. Okay. You're a dude. Yeah, you're just you're just like Harry. You're famous, but you're still just a dude. Yeah. And the movies, I know you're not rewriting the movies, but the movies even took that away from Crumb even more because mm-hmm. they made it seem like their entire relationship was just physical. Yeah. In a gross and like way. that they didn't talk. Yeah. When yeah, they really literally did. they became pen pals and they wrote letters back and forth to each other. Yeah. So there was and obviously they met more the to library, it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm they probably had many discussions because at that point Hermione was like the go-between between Ron and Harry since they were all bitching at yeah. each other. Yeah. What has been your favorite thing about taking this from Hermione's perspective then? My favorite thing is to give her some qualities that I think a lot of people can relate to. So for example, in the first book, Everyone thinks she's really annoying because she rambles on and on and on. Well, what if she has like an anxiety disorder? I have an anxiety disorder. I have panic attacks. So giving her a more humanistic quality, giving her something that grounds us, something that we can all kind of associate with has been really interesting to develop and go upon. The other thing that I really, really enjoy is seeing things how I write these is I reread the whole book in in full and then I go chapter by chapter. I reread the chapter and then I write the chapter and then I go to the next one. So seeing that chapter and seeing it from Harry's perspective, taking what I have developed as her character and seeing it through a different lens and exploring those things, those are my favorite things that I've done. And the things that we didn't get to read, you know, like yeah, I get to talk about McGonagall way more than she's ever mentioned in the books I get to talk about all these other characters because she's in the girls dormitory with five other girls so Mm -hmm. that's my favorite oh yeah 
Nice. That's awesome. I've only read the first chapter of your first one, so it's on my to-do list of things to keep reading when I have the time. Well, that was the other thing. Everyone, you know, if you, I think it's the first chapter, um, I had to also kind of give a reason why Hermione was so standoffish. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's bookish and whatnot, but like, why doesn't she have that compassion at the beginning of the books? Well, Mm -hmm. that's probably because her parents didn't show her that much compassion. And instead of being, you know, I hate to say a good human being, but all the focus was on academics. And why was that? So, yeah, the first chapter of the first book really threw a lot of people for a loop. Yeah, that's very interesting. I have to say, I... uh gonna get yelled at maybe i'm not the biggest hermione fan (laughs) but the way you're explaining it really makes me rethink that stance so well done because you know that's (laughs) that's a pretty hard line for me actually so (laughs) i'm honored thanks (laughs) (laughs) but moving on we're gonna start talking about some of the other characters in the story and i think the next kind of biggest character next obvious uh, choice the next obvious choice you could say is going to be Ginny weasley now she is my favorite (laughs) who is katie's favorite and she's she's an awesome character but she's that stereotypical cool girl like she's rarely emotional she's tough she likes sports she can hang with the guys like Mm -hmm. that is all they really gave us exactly and i think that they are pretty of course she is pretty yeah but All of those characteristics are basically uh, given the excuse of, oh, well, she had, you know, all these brothers growing up. There's a lot more to her than just, oh, she has six brothers or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't think of how many Weasleys there are. Yeah. No, there's a lot more to her to explore, but but it's just not there. I feel like girls that come from largely male families, a lot of them have that issue where they think that the fact that they have so many brothers or, you know, just so many males in the family, that defines them. And so I'm sure that that is how that comes across in their actual lives. Yeah. I can see how it would be. I mean, I didn't have a ton of brothers. I had two brothers, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And I'm the middle child, so I had an older brother and a younger brother. Yeah. In some ways, I can kind of relate to coming from the All Boys family. And I was more of a tomboy growing up. Yeah. But I, I was also like alpha of my siblings. So. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's funny you say that because that's exactly like my sister-in-law, too, is my husband is her older brother and her other brother my brother-in-law is her younger brother so she's the middle child and it was very much like I would hear stories about them growing up and I'm like that's exactly how I feel like a girl growing up with a bunch of brothers would grow up right it's very generic though it's yeah it is but then that's what I'm saying is then you get into oh but this isn't actually all you are right you know right it starts off defining you but if people really look into it, that's not all there is. It's a missed opportunity there. Yeah, exactly. Because there is a lot more to it. Yes, the brothers play a huge mm-hmm. role in Ginny's life. But where does her sarcasm come from? Like, where does her affinity for hexing random guys come from? Where does her affinity for being with so many guys come from? I, and I'm not saying that... Mm-hmm those are bad characteristics it's just those were never explored those were just kind of throw away oh they're mentioned and then they're never put in context yeah well why michael corner yeah dean thomas 
Or do we even know how the whole experience of Chamber of Secrets actually affected her? The only other time it gets mentioned is in the fifth book. Yeah. When right? Harry's worried that he's being possessed by Voldemort. And she's, yeah, she, gets she comes mad at in him. and she's like, uh, hello, you have, you have an excellent source right here to ask. Been there, done that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's the closest they got. A, a, a page. Here. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah. even a full page. It was. There's so much that could have gone into that. Yeah, exactly. And that obviously, too, is something that could have bonded the two of them together. Mm hmm. But they like a lot of people don't think that Harry and Ginny were well matched because she was so underdeveloped. Yeah. And don't even get me started on the movie, Ginny. I mean, she's like not. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, don't get us started either. <laughs> it's very much a we are fans of book Ginny. Yeah. Not movie Ginny. And that's no fault of Bonnie Wright's if she just wasn't written. She wasn't given she wasn't no, written, no. the material. One thing I do want to comment here before we move on is that I've read some of the other books that J.K. Rowling has written. and She's got a series under the pen name Robert Galbraith. And the main female in that, every time I read her, just it's Jenny. She just strongly reminds me of Jenny. Just everything mm -hmm. about her. I'm just like, okay, this is like the same person. Yeah. And there are differences, but there are superficial differences. The, the meat of these two characters are damn near identical. Yeah. And I feel like I'm reading about the same character when I read mm -hmm. Jenny Weasley versus Robin Ellicott. Yeah. Same character. Yeah. Very she interesting. Very, she is kind of a like a cookie cutter yeah. character. She really is. I still love her, but... I am also influenced by, I was deeply into fan fiction when I first got into Harry Potter. And I especially loved reading fan fiction about Ginny because they would go deeper into her character. Yeah. They would give her that more depth that I needed. And it's just not there in the books. It's not. Mm -mm, not yeah. at all. And I'm actually really excited about it because, so I set up the relationship in the second book with Ginny writes a letter to Hermione before they even get to Hogwarts. And it was like, hey, I'm Ron's sister. Ron's probably going to tell me to get the hell out, but I still wanted to hang out with you. But then the whole Chamber of Secrets thing kind of keeps them separated. Yeah. But now with the third book on, I think those two should be BFFs. And I think that they should hang out whenever she's not with Ron and Harry. Like, I always kind of saw it that way. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, anytime Hermione stays with the Weasleys, she stays with Jenny. Yeah. She's the only other female. Like, they share the room. And Jenny, she befriended Luna. Mm-hmm. But they never go into depth with who Jenny's friends are. Like... Yeah. Well, you don't meet any of the girls in that year in Gryffindor. They're all unnamed characters. Yeah. And they were obviously close enough for Hermione to give her the advice of basically move on from your crush on Harry, date some other guys, let him get to know you as you and not as Ron's little sister. Yeah. So, like, there had to have been some kind of bond there. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'll be excited to write that. <laughs> <laughs> or it was just Hermione going, seriously, this is kind of getting annoying. Maybe just back up. <laughs> <laughs> we all see it. We all get it. <laughs> so speaking of Luna Lovegood, she is also awesome obviously but she's the stereotypical outcast she's the the quirky the weird one she's, she's the, the weird one, one. Yeah. she's the phoebe she's the <laughs> she is the phoebe but she mm -hmm. could have been like even just a tweak to her character and maybe i'm the only one that thinks this but like i think she would have been the coolest 
stereotypical like resident wise stoner of Hufflepuff like same character yeah. basically but like giving her a little bit more credence you know like yeah let me tell definitely. you the ways of the weed and the ways of the world <laughs> <laughs> but instead now she's just a loony character. she's loony she's weird so she's made fun of yeah That's it. Right. she's different so let's ostracize her poker yeah right. poker with a stick where she could have been the same exact character. I mean, same exact character, just a stoner, which would make her cool. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> Little nudge. Different direction. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, they could have explored more the fact that all we know is her mother died because she liked experimenting. Yeah. But like, we don't know about we, how that affected how? her. Is that what made her weird? Was her mom as weird too? We don't know. Did her mom experiment on her? Right? <gasps> Ooh, dun, dun, dun. That could be interesting. Yeah, you don't know anything about her backstory. Yeah, and she was obviously really close with her dad. Mm -hmm. There obviously was a very strong connection between them, but that never got explored. Yeah, All we not. ever knew was Luna and her dad, they're crazy. Quibbler, yeah. read it upside down, funny glasses, we're experts. Well, that and, you know, when they go to when they're in Luna's house and they see the mural. Yeah. Too, I remember loving that part, but at the same time also kind of going, OK, stalker, because you don't see their relationship with her as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she drew this whole mural in her room to them. And it's like, but they weren't entirely very nice to you. <laughs> right. I mean, Harry was maybe she just felt weird painting Harry on her ceiling. Mm. <laughs> well i mean she was friends with Ginny, and you know yeah like she, but like harry and Ginny and on her ceiling may have been odd yeah <laughs> true <laughs> and what was great about her is you know people always want to talk about people who say it like it is mm -hmm. that's what she was all about yeah. yeah she was like the sniper with the comments like ron says funny things sometimes but he can be cruel yeah <laughs> like, just very point blank <laughs> you know she may have been loony but she was kind of woke like in the she was woke the air very out. much she was woke. <laughs> there was just so much more that could have been done with her and not and, and add to the story. I think add dramatically to the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite female characters is Professor Minerva McGonagall, who I always like to say is teacher goals. Mm -hmm. The idea that she can walk into a class and just be like, quiet, and they listen is yeah. amazing. <laughs> but they don't tell you anything about her. As to why she can do that. You get this feeling that she's strict and caring and likes Quidditch. And that's it. Yeah. She's like this weird, perfect storm of teacher things that she's strict, but she also cares. So everybody still loves her. Right. And it's like, how do you reach that balance? I want to know. Amazing. I want to know yeah. what her life path was to get her there. Yeah. Well, if you go on like the Harry Potter wiki, there's some backstory that apparently JK threw in her Twitter or something randomly. But like in the books, she's a professor and that's her only love in life. I mean, she is married to her mm. job. Yeah. But she's almost portrayed as a spinster. She yeah. is. And that that's not true. fair on her. No. I kind of am interested in paralleling the relationship between Harry and Dumbledore with Hermione and McGonagall so I love that idea that's yeah. amazing yeah as Hermione grows and Professor McGonagall is the one that is giving her the information and guiding her journey so like I said on Harry Potter wiki there's this somewhat backstory of McGonagall about how she fell in love with a muggle and she had to there was a choice on whether or not she was going to give up 
living in the wizarding world and whatnot. So I'm probably going to explore on that, depending on where exactly that information came from. Because I think it was a tweet or something from JK, but... Yeah, there's more information about her on... Pottermore. Well, what's it called? Well, Wizarding, Wizarding World. World. Yeah. 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 They removed anything that has any kind of dates to probably try and fix the whole adding her into Fantastic Beasts. I was Beast. to say the Fantastic yeah. Beasts issue. Yeah. But, I mean, she wasn't developed in the books enough for it to matter. They can easily adjust the storyline to explain how she could be a teacher during Fantastic Beasts time and a teacher during Harry Potter's time. Like, yeah. there's yeah, no real backstory present to do that so mm-hmm. i'm interested to see what they do i hope that we learn a little bit more about mcgonagall through the movie but considering how the movie doesn't really probably not gonna happen it's nice to dream though isn't it right <laughs> there's some great theories on it though yeah but while mcgonagall is your teacher goals our next topic is my mom goals molly weasley i love molly weasley so much not my daughter, you bitch. Exactly. Oh, I love that. If line. you didn't love her before that line, which you probably did, but and if, if you, you didn't, didn't should have, right? <laughs> but if you didn't, the second she uttered that line, she just yes. became everybody's favorite mom. I think. Yeah, it's one of those things. I loved that line when I first read it. I loved it when I saw it in the movie, and then when I had my own daughter, I was like, I get it. <laughs> I love Molly, but. She's another one where we, I wish we knew more about her. She's a stereotypical mother. Mm-hmm. Well, she's that a stereotypical, in the seven books, she's a stereotypical boy mom. Yes. Because it's told from the boy's perspective. But like, you know, when Hermione and Ginny hang out, like you said, at the Weasleys. Well, there was the one scene where they all got a little giggly over a love potion that she brewed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I want the Molly Weasley origin story. That's what I want. I want the pre-mom Molly Weasley. Right. I want to see how she I would love up. to see young Molly Weasley and Arthur Weasley fucking flirting. Right? Dude, if I get through writing these seven books without dying from alcohol poisoning, <laughs> I promise you, I would write Molly Weasley's origin story. Yes! Awesome. That would be amazing. And if I want to see how Arthur wooed her. All of the personality that their kids have. Mm-hmm. Like Fred and George. All the kids are so different. They're all so different. And like you got Bill who's really cool. And yeah. Charlie who's really adventurous. And Percy who I'm pretty sure is autistic. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And then you got the twins that are just amazingly mischievous. Yeah. And Ron of course and Ginny both kind of start to become the babies that get overlooked. And they don't get to be defined as much Mm -hmm. as who they are. Yeah. Even though they were both more important than any of those other characters yeah. that we mentioned. <laughs> but Ron becomes the sidekick. Where did Ginny they get those qualities? Because we never got to see them. Maybe a little bit in Arthur. Yeah. But it was still the way they wrote Arthur. The way she wrote Arthur it was still playing him to be the bumbling husband that annoys his wife. Like, yeah. And that's all we got. Where did that personality come from? I know Molly is a prankster. Oh, I yeah. know she is. Oh yeah. Well, she had she... twin brothers too. Yeah. So I always, I always imagine that that's where that's where they got it from was from her twin brothers, and I have to believe in order to keep my life going that Molly got in on those pranks. Oh yeah, with her brothers. Like 100%. I just have to. 
you when know. you think about how badass Jenny is, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, not my daughter, you bitch. Like, you exactly. know that Molly is badass. We just never got to see it. Yeah. And I also, and- I was actually really disappointed in the scene where she couldn't face the Bogart. And she just started crying. I think she was better than that. I mean, uh, see. I'm 100% behind that. I was just going to bring that up. Like, that scene should have been way more than her just crying. I mean. Okay, now, I get that. I get that. And I totally thought that at the time, too. But after I had my daughter, I had extreme postpartum anxiety. Where I would literally imagine terrible things happening to my child. And I couldn't get them out of my head. And, like, I would have to stop whatever I was doing and collect myself and get it out of my head. And it was a lot. And I still get that now. It doesn't matter how old Ginny gets. Anytime you imagine something happening to her, I will need a moment. Well, needing a moment is very different than having a complete and total meltdown. But also, in the time that they were living, too, things had to be so scary at all times, because they didn't know what was going to happen day to day. They didn't know where they were going to be. They didn't know when Voldemort was going to attack. Her kids were like in the forefront of this war. I feel like it felt too close to home for her. Well, and I completely and understand where you're coming from. Not to the same level since I'm not a mom, but I've had those same kind of anxiety issues over my husband. Mm-hmm. But when actually faced with the real danger, her reaction was not my daughter, you bitch. And I feel like she deserved a little bit more. Like, even if it was when they showed up and comforted her, she was able to finish off the Bogart herself or something. I feel like she deserved yeah. a little bit more because it made her seem very weak. And she's not. I can see what you're saying. And I totally agree. She's not weak. But, I mean, having that breakdown, it doesn't make her weak either, though. It's just... Like I said, we don't know what her current situation was. Right, but because we didn't get that other information. Yeah. Not that I think she was weak. We were just given so little information about yeah. Molly in general that for them to, like, the two big scenes that she got, yeah, other than her mom moments, were a <laughs> breakdown and all of a sudden she's badass. Yeah. And it was just so polar opposite. Like, I'm glad she got that chance to, like... I mean, but it, it felt like she was trying to make up for that other scene do you think maybe it was partially her adrenaline because she was already in the midst of a battle everything was already going on around her the bogart was a quiet moment where she was just trying to clean took her by surprise i honestly don't have a problem with her crying i just kind of would like to see her react to that in the badass way and then break down afterwards I can get with that. Yeah. It's just like I because I there's nothing wrong. Like I, I had a breakdown this morning. Like there's nothing wrong with your emotions getting the better of you. It doesn't mean you're weak. Yeah. But that's all they gave her in that scene. Yeah. I definitely agree there. It's just very hard for me to not sympathize greatly with her. My sympathy is with her. My criticism is how it was written. Yeah. So that is true. Yeah. But since we keep talking about not my daughter, you bitch, I feel like we should move on to Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, see the other end or of... Or Lestrange, Lestrange, as the audiobook says. <laughs> and she was just your stereotypical crazy evil bitch. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's, That's all it. she was. Yeah. Yep. That Complete one-dimensional. Obsessed, obsessed with Voldemort. And... Why? Yeah. Despite the fact she was already married. Which, that doesn't add up at all. And one of the things that I question is okay so she's a stereotypical bitch why 
because obviously it's not because of her heritage because there were other people in her family that went to the side of good so why did she stay bad why did she enjoy being so evil why right she had two sisters one of them was genuinely good the other one was just self-involved Honestly, mm-hmm. is what I would give Narcissa. We'll get to her. Which I mean, when you're going to name your kid Narcissa, what the fuck you think is going to Right, happen, that's what but... happens. <laughs> but Andromeda, she totally went to the side of the good. She married a muggle. Mm-hmm. Like, so where, what happened to Bellatrix that yeah. turned her into the batshit crazy bitch? And that's never explained. What happened to Andromeda to make her not turn right. into the batshit Probably crazy Probably Bellatrix. Bitch. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, true story. <laughs> But I don't think that's ever properly explained. And while mm-hmm. I'm cool with her being, you know, the evil bitch that she is, that's fine. We need an evil bitch. But why? Give me a reason why. Yeah. Yeah, I have no problem with there being evil bitch. I actually love the concept of women going bad. Not that I want women to yeah. go bad. But, you know, the bad guy's almost always a guy. Yeah. Or like, Thus it's called the bad guy. Right. And... <laughs> There was a perfect opportunity to write a three-dimensional bad girl character instead of a bad guy character, but it was completely lost. She's a bad lady. Bad Bad lady. lady. Bad bitch. A bad doll. (laughs) Guys and dolls. Bad bitch. (laughs) She's a bad bitch. Isn't that a song, 100% bad bitch? I just got the DNA results. You could have had a bad bitch. (laughs) Though I must say that when I write plays and shit, I write really, really depressing shit. So I am super excited to write the whole torture scene between Hermione and Bellatrix in Malfoy Manor. I'm really interested to see how you take that on. And that also gives you a great opportunity to really build up the connection between Hermione and Ron because that was one of the few Ron moments they actually gave us where he's literally like, no, torture me instead. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For sure. I think that that was one of the pivotal points that was actually written in the book. Right. Yeah. So speaking of the Black Sisters, too, as we were saying, Narcissa Malfoy is extremely one-dimensional. But again, what are you going to do when you get the name like Narcissa? Right. <laughs> like I said, she's just self-involved. Yeah. That's all she has. Like, she loves her son. Yeah. But that's literally half herself. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's all we know about her. There was such an opportunity for her to be a woman that represents the actual Slytherin values without being a bad person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, she was yeah. loyal and cunning when she lied about Harry. I mean, she was loyal to mm-hmm. her son and cunning by tricking Voldemort into thinking that Harry was dead. Even though she knew Voldemort would fucking murder the hell out of her. Exactly, and that's but loyalty she still to did a key yeah. right there. Not my son, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly. my son, you bitch. But like, you know, my sister's a Slytherin and she's like, there are no good female Slytherin characters and Narcissa could have been that good Slytherin character who's a good person but still is a Slytherin and being cunning and loyal to a fault do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I think if she were written as a good person I don't know how she could have been married to Lucius true yeah very true but she definitely didn't have to be the villain unless she's being loyal to the black name by marrying right who she's told to marry yeah, I really feel like that's what happened there. I think she married a pure blood man who and not, let's not gloss over the fact that Lucius Malfoy was an attractive man if you're going by how he looked in the movies. Like yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, hello, sir. <laughs> I'm sure that, and when he was younger too, I'm sure that that was a fucking match made in heaven in her mind. And yeah. He's wealthy. He's pure blood. He's fucking handsome. Mm-hmm. I'm never gonna have to work a day in my life. I'll give him a baby, and and that's all. And that's set. my life. Yeah. But is that what she wanted, or is that how she was written? And is that how she was raised? Right. Yeah. Because you can't deny the fact that. In the end, she chose to save her son over serve mm-hmm. the Dark Lord. And in doing so, she saved Harry Potter as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was the side note. That was the that was not her motivation it was, yeah. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it was literally strictly for her son. Which is very Slytherin. But I don't think anything she ever did was evil. No. Essentially, I feel like she's more evil by omission. Evil by not being... Evil sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> she's an enabler of evil but not she is an enabler yes i don't know i think that there was a good opportunity for her to be not the poster child for slytherins but given her a little bit more depth to be a slytherin that isn't the bad guy for once yeah in a lot of ways she probably was kind of a victim also in the same way that draco was Mm-hmm. agreed so that could have been explored more. And if Draco can be forgiven, then I would think Narcissa could as well. I'm not sure I feel like Lucius ever could. No. Lucius is different. I still kind of feel like Narcissa and Draco should just get to go live off on their own and Lucius should go back to Azkaban. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. He charged the capital. He should be in prison. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is, again, another situation. I just want... The backstory. I want all the things. <laughs> all of the things. I want all the things. Be careful. If you keep saying stuff like that, someone's going to dare you to write all the things and then you'll be in my boat. I got ADD. There so is no worry of Katie following through. <laughs> she might write the first paragraph. If you knew how many fan fictions I started to write. <laughs> Lots of first paragraphs. That are still just sitting in a notebook. That I reread and went, ooh, I'm kind of glad I didn't keep going with this. <laughs> you told me about some of them. Yeah, they did not age well. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And I'm smart enough not to add anything else to my plate because... Yeah, you've got enough there. I do a lot for this podcast. You mispronounced everything. <laughs> <laughs> I do everything for this podcast. <laughs> At least I admit it to you. It's not everything. Katie does play a role that is extremely important, but we're getting off topic. Anyway. So (laughs) we can't really talk that much about Andromeda Black, who is Andromeda Tonks, because we literally know nothing about her. Yeah. Other than the fact that she kind of looks like Bellatrix, but with lighter hair and a kinder face. But we will talk about her daughter, Nymphadora, Mm -hmm. who prefers to just go by Tonks because Andromeda fucking named her Nymphadora. (laughs) That is a name. I gotta that say. That is a name. It's... I do think it's adorable that Lupin calls her Dora. Mm-hmm. Adorable? It's adorable. <laughs> Aw. Better than calling her Nymphie. That's weird. That would be really weird. <laughs> right? That would be extremely weird. I would hate that. But I love Tonks. There's so many great things about her. But again, you've got, oh, she's klutzy. Mm-hmm. She's klutzy. Like, this bad bitch became, not an evil bitch, a bad bitch. This yeah. bad bitch became an Auror. 
Yeah. And she is the youngest of the Aurors. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking awesome. That was like and a throwaway line. Like, oh, she's right. An and she's a Hufflepuff. But she wrote her to be this klutzy, seemingly not very powerful, weak kind of woman. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand that at all. She's a fucking Auror. And that is not easy to do. Yeah. Why did we not see more of that side of her? We got to see her cry over Lupin and trip over things. Yeah. I think that's what annoyed me the most about Tonks and Lupin getting together was it turned Tonks into just the stereotypical. Her husband is the one who gives her the personality or whatever. Yeah. But she had so much possibility before that. Right. And I loved the idea of her and Lupin together, actually. I love mostly because I loved that somebody was willing to accept Lupin. Right. Yeah. And I think it's huge that Tonks didn't care he was a werewolf. I think that is an amazing aspect of her character. Mm -hmm. But we never really got to learn why she felt that way. Yeah. There's just so much more to her than what we were given. (laughs) Katie just wants to cuddle Lupin. I just do. (laughs) I love Lupin. Not in werewolf form. She's allergic. That is true. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's movie werewolf Lupin. There's probably not enough hair there. Yeah. There's very little hair going there. Naked mole rat. (laughs) But yeah, I don't like that she was just essentially downgraded from being this giant badass character. And she was just downgraded to... Bah. Bah. (laughs) Meh. It just turned into... Well, she's pretty badass, but now that she's having issues in her love life, her hair gets mousy brown and she just... Oh, in the moment when they compare her to Fleur Delacour. Yeah. Oh, oh don't get me started. <laughs> but you know what? Let's get you started on Fleur Delacour. <laughs> Fleur Let's Delacour. bring it in. Fleur, you know? Fleur, Fleur. So, you know, JK had this great opportunity to write the quintessential badass woman who's going to take on three other male champions and then she shits mm-hmm. the bed. Oh, Harry, come Hard. save me. Like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. She's like the most pathetic person known to man in book four. Like, let's be real. She had to be saved. Yeah. Basically. Multiple times. Numerous times. Multiple yeah. times. And she had this opportunity to write this female up against three guys, like you were saying, and she still got put in last. It's just like yeah. spoon feeding us that women aren't as good as men. Yeah. Like, I mean, at the very least, at the very least, give her third place. I understand why Harry and Cedric needed to be the first two. But like, sure. Okay, maybe she wasn't going to be able to beat Crumb, but Crumb is not that coordinated off his broomstick. So maybe she was. Yeah. Just because he's good at Quidditch doesn't mean he's good at challenges like that. Honestly, it always completely irritated me that you had this amazing opportunity with Fleur. She was chosen as one of the champions. Right. And why why was she chosen and then it's yeah, not because exactly. she was hot yeah after the first test you're just kind of like why and the only thing that she's good at is making men go like completely dumb over her looks <gasps> because she's part vila like come on yeah. yeah there's a lot more to women than looks right yeah and even one of the closest to badass women moments she got was when she stood up to molly Mm-hmm. And even in that moment, she was just like, fuck you, Molly. Let me do my wifely duties. Like, yeah, it just missed the mark in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then, of course, you had other girls bashing her. 
mm-hmm. Hermione mm-hmm. didn't like her. Ginny didn't like her. Calling her phlegm. And, right. Yeah. And it's the only time I didn't like those girls. Yeah. Because they were being mean. They, they were, were being mean, mean girls. girls. Like there's nothing wrong with women building up other women. And did that happen at all in this series? Not Rarely, fun. if ever. Yeah. I honestly don't think it did. Yeah. The one thing that I did like about Fleur was at least she did go for Bill, even though Bill was all scarred up. And, well, that and... happened after she was with him. Yeah. But she stayed with him. She still that, loved though. him. She stayed with him, which if you're just taking Fleur at face value, which is all Fleur is really given is face value, aside from that one thing that she still stuck with him. Yeah. But then if you look at the description of her mother and father, the father was not described as any kind of attractive man in any way, shape, or form, and her mother was like a head taller than him. Yeah. So she obviously was raised in a way where looks didn't ultimately matter, or maybe it only mattered if the woman was attractive. I Yeah. Who knows? And then they bring in the little sister and just have her be somebody to hit on harry like yeah the whole somebody else to be rescued yeah but speaking of hitting yeah. on harry we got cho chang how do you say it ellen i say cho chang <laughs> <laughs> whenever harry sees cho he's just like cho chang <laughs> i got a date cho chang <laughs> which are two last names that aren't even chinese last names. right aren't they yeah. korean yes i think they are that's actually mentioned. It's like a slam poetry type thing. It's called To J.K. Rowling from Cho Chang by Rachel Rostad. Have you ever seen that? I have. It's epic. It's got a lot of points about the stereotyping like with her name. And it literally points out the line is me being named Cho Chang is like a Frenchman being named Garcia Sanchez. <laughs> but it also talks about how literature loves to turn Asian women into fetishes. Oh, yeah slam poetry so it is just like bam with the this is how much you fucked up writing an asian character that could have actually been a real character and not a stereotype yeah and it's all true too oh let's put the asian in ravenclaw yeah they're smart yeah in that poem that you mentioned the you know she brings up the white savior complex it's kind of like madam butterfly or the musical Miss Saigon Miss Saigon yeah yeah where the white guy comes and flirts with the Asian woman and then he leaves her and god forbid and they all kill themselves like it's just yeah Miss Saigon was dork I mean (laughs) don't get me wrong I love J.K. Rowling for giving us these books don't get me wrong but Cho Chang and some other characters are just lazy yeah yeah it's just Asian stereotype 101 it's almost like somebody was like you know you should really have a little more diversity in these books and so she was like hmm more diversity more diversity an asian named cho chang there we go that's perfect and it just fails hard and she could have been such a great character Mm -hmm. like there's nothing wrong with giving harry a legitimate first love interest yeah but it was just this crying girl the whole time that yeah. needed to be saved. like Which, I mean, she did go through a lot the previous year, but that's not... Well, I don't think she ever got the opportunity to really talk about what happened. And yeah. that's part of the reason why she bonded with Harry was because he went through it too and she felt like he'd understand. Mm-hmm. But that's the wrong reason to date somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So... So maybe not. But Just speaking saying. of dating somebody... Okay. <laughs> So, uh, on the cringy scale, I believe Lavender Brown is pretty high. That's Lav Lav. One, one. 
one, one. You know, I tried to write Lavender as a somewhat sympathetic character in the first two books since, you know, she's roommates with Hermione, so they obviously Mm -hmm. have conversations. And again, everything that I wrote for her is directly contradicted in later books because she is just dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Not a good character. The problem is people like that really exist. I was just thinking that. But I think it's because it's this you know just keep rolling it's the phoenix before the flame what came first the phoenix or the flame like yeah did the one-dimensional boy crazy simpering girl come first and then people started writing about him or did people write girls that way and then the other and then girls, girls started, started imitating emulating. it yeah did art influence real life or did real life influence art mm-hmm. yeah because i've met girls like that that's the thing is they do exist and there is a place for them in things but the problem is i think oftentimes it's only a time period that they're like that and they tend to grow out of it yeah not lavender she stays that way until she's dead on the floor of the great hall in book seven does she actually die i don't they know never that say that she confirmed. dies well in the movies she appears to be dead on the wikipedia they do say that she does die in the battle yeah they never made that very clear in the book she doesn't even get a real send-off if that's the case well, I mean, and that's just par for the course with her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's not a real character. Why give her a real death or a real backstory in any way? I'm when sure she why. did really shape Ron, I mean, that was Ron's mm-hmm. first love. Eh. I know. Well, for <laughs> ish, you know, the one that he can boast to his brothers about, like, oh, yeah, we were snogging in the corner. There is mm-hmm. significance to her character, but it's just not written that way. No. It is not. And once again, it completely revolves around the male character that she interacts with. It has nothing to do with her, really. Yeah. Right. So we want to end on Parvati and Padma, more so Parvati, because she was actually in Gryffindor and played Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a role in the stories. Padma was just kind of like the sister that got put in Ravenclaw. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're watching the movies, in which Which case case, (laughs) there were twins that were like attached at the hip. But again, this is another example of let's add in a brown character that gets no development at all. Yeah, I totally agree. And I had a lot of fun with books one and two writing her because I kind of since they're roommates, Hermione and Parvati, exploring that relationship. So she's really prevalent in book one, somewhat prevalent in book two, just giving her some backstory. Like, why is she in a different house than her twin sister? What is that relationship you know so one is smart and one is not is that what's implied and then I did a huge thing towards the end spoiler alert of the second book about how when Parvati was dating Justin uh Finch Fletchley yeah him and (laughs) he gets petrified that Parvati like blows up on Hermione and is like your friend did this and that kind of gave me justification for the whole like she starts hanging out more so with Lavender in book three with Professor Trelawney and stuff like that. But again, like there is nothing mentioned about her, but it could have been such an interesting storyline to learn about her and her sister and why they're in different houses. And I mean, she lives in the same room as Hermione. So why don't we know a little bit more about her? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Definitely agree there. So many missed opportunities. Right. There's a this lot. Whole series. And not that, I mean, I mean these, the books are amazing. We 
love reading them and rereading them and and there's only I've, so much you can put in them right obviously well. we're doing a whole podcast on it mm-hmm. so it's not that we are getting down on the books here this was more about talking about how this inspired you yeah to start writing your series from a different perspective absolutely i mean i live for harry potter i love harry potter harry mm-hmm. potter is my comfort food you know, whenever I call it my drug of choice, exactly. (laughs) whenever something goes bad in my life, I reread the books. I mean, that is how I cope with life. So I hold the Harry Potter book so close to my heart. It's not even funny. And even through the pandemic and all the stimulus checks or whatever, I've spent so much money on all kinds of Harry Potter things because it makes me feel happy. (laughs) Like I love Harry Potter. But I love Harry Potter so much that I want to explore these things that were missed opportunities or things that I see as missed opportunities because I want that magic to be there again, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, no, I still, it totally I still does. have that yeah. magic when I read the books. I do. Every time I reread it, I find something new. But I really needed some magic, especially now with the pandemic. I think everybody did. Yeah, yeah what better way to find these places where I always thought to myself, oh, shit, that was a really good opportunity that she kind of missed out on. Understandably, mm-hmm. because now I know that writing an 80,000 word book is fucking hard. So <laughs> it's a lot of opportunities. But now I can kind of bring that magic back for those opportunities. And if people, these people you know, a hundred thousand people, the nice ones, anyways, and the nice ones, anyways, if they get some of that magic back too, then that makes me even more happy. So I know I was really talking about how JK missed the boat on some things and it's not what I really think. It's just, there are missed opportunities and hopefully with this series, I was able to capitalize on some of them. Well, it's always mm-hmm. amazing when, art or literature inspires you to continue creating yeah it's like the gift that keeps on giving yeah and let's be real these books are the gifts that keep on giving yeah yeah it's part of the fun is imagining your own version of events and imagining your own way of thinking and feeling like you know these characters well enough to write their own story like that's just yeah. It's so fun. I mean, they are my best friends. I have friends. I'm not that big of a loser. <laughs> yeah. But these guys are my best friends through thick and thin. Like, I read these yeah. when I get depressed. So these are my best yeah. friends, and I feel like I know them. And I feel as though that I can help them to tell the stories that aren't as well-developed. Yeah, it's almost like a way of getting to know them even better. It is. Mm-hmm. It's been really interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to finishing reading them and getting your next ones mm-hmm. as you keep doing this, <laughs> especially for Prisoner of Azkaban, third. because that is our favorite. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You try writing the time turner scenes and <laughs> and not dying of alcohol poisoning. And yeah. I mean, nobody says you have to play the game. That's <laughs> But why would you not, Ellen? <laughs> why would you not? That's the that's the key. That is the question, indeed. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It's been so great talking to you. Thank you for having me and not being a creepy fan and not sending me things to my house. Well, I not, not the that. creepiest fan. Not the creepiest. No death <laughs> threats here. 
No, not at all. So where can people find and read your Hermione stories? They are on three different fan fiction sites. I believe that if you go to either fanfiction.net, Wattpad, or Archive of Their Own. Archive of Our Own? Yeah. Yes, that one. If you go to mm-hmm. one of those three and just search for Hermione Granger and the Philosopher's Stone or Chamber of Secrets, you should be able to find them. My screen name is Sarah Smile for 16. Okay. If you want to send me the links too, I can just post them directly on our page. That is probably much easier. (laughs) I will do that. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was really nice to talk to you. I loved hearing everything you had to say. It was really fun. Even though I went on some some tangents. (laughs) No, I did too. It was really fun. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) For everyone else, we hope you enjoyed this extra special Potterheads of History. As we have mentioned before, these episodes are normally for patrons only, but every now and then we have special guests like Sarah and we want to share them with everyone. Yeah, we release a bonus episode like this each month for our patrons. So check us out at patreon.com slash justkeeprolling if you're interested in helping us out and getting some extra perks. And as always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And an extra thank you to all of our patrons for being amazing keepers. We can't even say just how much we appreciate you. Join us for the next weekly episode coming out this Friday. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.